We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. Feels like I've seen you, but yesterday, you know, a couple of days ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the most we've seen each other in in rapid succession. Right. It was nice, though. Mm -hmm. The casseroles you made were delicious. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. I do have a correction for the cubby. Uh Uh-oh. So last week, remember how I struggled with the name of the person from our Discord who submitted the question, their screen name? Yeah. Their Discord is actually pronounced Cult August D, and it's a BTS reference, like the band BTS. So. Oh, nice. So thank you for clarifying for me after you heard the episode. All right. Now I got it right. Sorry, K-pop nation. Yeah. <laughs> Part fingers. Since last week's story was a bit of a downer. Aren't they all to an extent? <laughs> to an extent they are all, but like something about colonization hits different, but. It really does. Yeah. You know, mass genocide, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a bit of a downer. Mm-hmm. So this week, because originally I had planned to have another massacre this week, and I was like, I can't do two in a row. So I planned to have a second massacre. And I didn't really think about it until afterwards, and I was like, mm, let's not. That's Thank you. a little bit too much massacre back to back. So instead, yeah. we're going to be discussing Blanche Harriet. Oh, Blanche. What a name. I know, right? It's our first Blanche. And not on Golden Girls. Mm-mm. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2023 Traditional Customs and Ceremonies post by Pixie Lid Publications. 2008 Literary Places post by Angela Williams. 2001 Wesley Center Online publication by Dwayne V. Maxey. 1992 Surrey Herald article by Philip Wheeler. 1935 The Guardian article. 1851 Lloyd's Weekly Newspaper article. Alice Obscura, Calendar Customs, The Chertsey Society, Historic UK article by Ellen Castello, and three Wikipedia links. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. Today's topic is like a bit of a folktale slash urban legend that some say is just a story and others claim it to be fact. Okay. So we'll... Like most stories then. Yes. So it's really, really not too different. So we'll see what you think. Okay. We've very, very briefly discussed the War of the Roses on this show, but I've never dived into them. Mm. Just because, well, yeah. for one, it never came up, and two, it's fairly popular as far as English infighting is concerned. Yeah. We're never really going to cover it. Also in Bachelor Nation, it's very popular. Yeah. So. We still need it for context, so I'm going to give you the TLDR version, or in okay. Reddit speak, too long didn't read version of events. 
as regards to context. <laughs> so here we go. I just want to, I want to know just enough to go, oh. <laughs> yep. Essentially. Yep. Okay. Uh. <laughs> so the War of the Roses, which took place between May 22nd, 1455 and June 15th, 1487, or essentially 32 years, three weeks and four days, was a series of civil wars fought across England, Wales, Ireland, and Calais to determine who should sit on the English throne. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time. Yep. Essentially, it was conducted between two rival factions, between the House of Lancaster and the House of York. All told, by the time the conflict was finally resolved via an arranged marriage between the Houses of Tudor and the Houses of York, 105,000 people had lost their lives. Casual. Super casual. It's like really aggressive royal chess. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. How angry would you have been being one of those soldiers that like gave your life for the cause only for them to do an arranged marriage to fix it 32 years later? Oh my God. Like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like you wiped out three generations of my family for a wedding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. I'm gonna come haunt you now. (laughs) Yeah. That's why there's so many ghosts. (laughs) Like all 105,000 were like, what? (laughs) which one's their castles yeah i just need to know i just need to know for fun we just need to coordinate fellas yeah we just want to know where the next hangout is Mm -hmm. one of the most decisive battles the battle of tewksbury took place on may 4th 1471 between the lancastrians who were a force of six thousand strong led by the duke of somerset and five thousand yorkists under the leadership of king edward the fourth This battle, which ended in the House of York reclaiming the throne, is around when our story takes place. Okay. So 1471. So this is when an active battle was happening. Yes. So this is immediately following this battle when King Edward IV has reclaimed the throne of England. So the Yorkists are now in power. Mm -hmm. Huge mix-up. Yes. Blant Chariot, who lived in Chertsey at Redwine Manor House was said to have fallen in love with a Lancastrian knight named Neville Audley, who was the nephew of Warwick, the kingmaker. What a name. Right? All of these. Like, I'm sorry. What is what is with Britain and just its nonsensical names? I don't know, but I love it. And just adding berries to the end of everything. Mm-hmm. Or Shire. Or wine. Berries and yep. shires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. It's okay. And if you remember what I literally just told you, in this scenario, the Lancasters were the bad guys, since the Yorks, Mm -hmm. specifically King Edward IV, had just taken the English throne. This meant that Blanche's lover was essentially a traitor. Yep. And should be in hiding and or dead. Yep. Yeah. Now for context, Chertsey is a small town in the borough of Runnymede, Surrey, which is about 29 kilometers or 18 miles southwest of central London. I know, Runnymede, I love it. It just it just sounds like a, like a dish now. Yep. Like you're making a really delicious pot roast full of these towns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Instead of Chertsey, it's chutney. Like it's just chutney. Right. That's. <laughs> I just had dinner, yeah. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> the town itself was essentially formed around the Chertsey Abbey, which was founded in... 
666 Common Era. All right. Oh. By Saint Erkenwald, who sounds like an evil orc lord from Lord of the Rings. Erkenwald. Yeah, he might have been. <laughs> like, I feel like all of the runners of churches built in 1666 were not good. They had to have been evil, right? Like the whole year. <laughs> I bunch of Urukai. Like that's the one year that the devil can influence a church directly. It was here at Chertsey Abbey that Neville sought sanctuary. And we've discussed in the past, like, what the whole thing behind sanctuary is. Sanctuary! Yeah. Yeah. Despite his best efforts, Neville was captured after killing a soldier and a dog as he fled to the Chertsey Abbey. And he was sentenced to die the next day for treason following the first toll of the curfew bell, which rang every day at 8 p.m. Yeah. Why did you kill the dog? I don't know. What'd that dog do to you? He was probably just like, hey, hey, bro, you got any bread or like bones? And, and like, he just killed him. I couldn't find any information on like why or how he killed the soldier and the dog. Like, I don't know if he just like ran over it with his horse or I, I don't know. But either yeah. way, not cool. Not cool, Neville. Not, not cool. cool. Like the soldier I can get, you know, like you're in the middle of a conflict Mm -hmm. whatever like you're better it's fine but like the dog what the dog do to you really yeah not cool bro it was not a canine i guarantee it Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was just a good boy he was just a good boy according to the story neville had one last hail mary to play in an effort to spare his life he was able to recall an encounter he had with a yorkist noble during battle in which he chose to spare the man's life rather than end it. In a show of gratitude, the noble gifted Neville with his signet ring, hoping that this show of goodwill would impress upon the king his honorable nature. He sent it with a trusted friend named Herrick Evenden to share the story with the newly appointed King Edward IV in an effort to get a royal pardon. I mean, he does have lots of good things kind of lined up, Mm -hmm. but... If I've seen any CW or HBO specials on medieval <laughs> trickery, <laughs> I'm about to say that something is going to go afoot. <laughs> or a rye. A or rye. a chutney. <laughs> yep. a, a runny mead, if one will. <laughs> An incorrect spice is going to heat things up. Mm-hmm. Herrick was able to make the journey, remember, this is 18 miles, to London in good time, and not only gain an audience with the king, but also walk away with the pardon. However, time was quickly running out, and as sundown approached and the time for the curfew bell to ring grew near, Herrick was still over an hour away from Chertsey. So he threw the letter (laughs) in an airplane, (laughs) shaped like an airplane, and in true movie form, it just hit him right in the forehead and everyone shouted hooray. He used a, a crow that he had with him and attached it to its leg, sent him off. He was like, Chauncey, go. <laughs> Chauncey, head to Chertsey. <laughs> Not to be confused with Chutney. <laughs> Knowing that the ringing of the bell would signal the death of her fiancé, Blanche scaled the bell tower of the abbey and threw herself against the clapper, using her body as a sound dampener. So like the thing in the middle. Damn. Mm-hmm. That would have hurt. Even as her body was being thrown against the inside of the bell, she held tight to the clapper, muting the sound until Herrick, 
who had been seen about a half mile away near Lalem Ferry by multiple townsfolk, could finally arrive with the king's pardon. So she's just hanging on for dear life to mm-hmm. this rope mm-hmm. for like an hour, maybe? maybe <laughs> oh, no. Just like getting beat to shit. <laughs> by this yeah, I don't know how long it would take a horse to run a half mile after it's already been running a lot all day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I tried to look yeah. it up online, but it, I mean, it's wildly different. There's like so many variables. Right, they're like, so like, what did you feed the horse? Are there Was it a gallop? Was it a canter? You know, like how fast was it running? How heavy was the rider? Like how what were, were the, the road shoes? conditions? You know, like yeah. there's so many variables. So I have no idea. Was the wind out of the Northwest or the Northeast? Was it a favorable wind? Was it a tailwind? Yeah. Once assured that Neville's life would be spared, Blanche released the clapper on the bell and was reunited with her lover, who she would go on to marry later that night during a celebratory party at a local hostelry. I'm so sorry, but I I wanted to be like, and she was going to marry him, but because she was so severely concussed after holding that role, she actually forgot all about him. I was wondering why this strange man wanted to marry her. She didn't even know her own name. <laughs> Isn't my name Belle? <laughs> I have no idea what's happening right now. Bell Ringsby. I like that. I like it. I see what you did there. The legend of Blanche Harriet came to be well known when a man named Albert Smith, who lived across from St. Peter's Church in Chertsey, published a play called Blanche Harriet or the Chertsey Curfew in 1842. So this is like almost 400 years later. That was an instant success when it was produced at the Surrey Theater. That's so funny. Just a whole play dedicated to this one moment in this woman's life. Mm -hmm. Blanche's story would gain further notoriety thanks to the efforts of Lydia Sigourney and Rose Alnora Hartwick Thorpe. So Rose was born on July 18, 1850 in Mishawaka, Indiana. So this is Indiana, not England. Okay. In April of 1867, so when she was 17 years old, Rose was still attending high school in Litchfield, Michigan, when her ballad, Curfew Must Not Ring Tonight, was published in the Detroit Commercial Advertiser. The Hmm. poem revolves around the story of Bessie, whose lover, Basil Underwood, was arrested and sentenced to die at the ringing of the curfew bell. After begging the sexton to not ring the bell, upon his refusal, she climbs to the top of the bell tower and risks her life to stop it herself. When Oliver Cromwell, yep, that Oliver Cromwell, learns of her deed, he is so moved that he issues a full pardon for Basil and the pair are wed. Wow. What a modern name, Basil. Yeah. Yeah, she was from Michigan. She's never met a Basil. (laughs) So this telling is based on a previous work by the writer named Lydia Sigourney, whose article entitled Love and Loyalty was published posthumously in a women's magazine called Peterson's Magazine in September of 1865. Both of them were very loosely based off of Blanche Harriet's story. That was written by Albert Smith in 1842. So this is just kind of keeping perpetuating the story. So I'm going to read for you, and this is long, 
I'm going to share with you the full telling of Curfew Must Not Ring Tonight by Rose Hartwig Thorpe. Okay. It's pretty good. Quote, England's sun was slowly setting o'er the hills so far away, filling all the land with beauty at the close of one sad day. And its last rays kissed the faces of a man and maiden fair, he with steps so slow and feeble, she with sunny floating hair. He with bowed head, sad and thoughtful, she with lips so cold and white, firmly set to hush the murmur, curfew must not ring tonight. Sexton, Bessie's white lips faltered, pointing to the prison old, with its walls so gray and dismal, walls so dark and damp and cold. I've a lover in that prison, doomed this very night to die, at the ringing of the curfew, and no earthly help is nigh. Cromwell will not come till sunset, and her face grew strangely white. As she spoke in husky whispers, curfew must not ring tonight. Bessie calmly spoke the sexton. Every word pierced her young heart, like a fatal gleaming arrow, like a deadly poison dart. Long, long years I've rung the curfew from that gloomy shadowed tower. Every evening, just at sunset, it has told the twilight hour. I have done my duty ever, tried to do it just and right. Now I'm old, I will not miss it. Girl, the curfew rings tonight. Girl. Girl, it's going to ring tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm losing this job. <laughs> Wild her eyes and pale her features, stern and white her thoughtful brow. And within her heart's deep center, Bessie made a solemn vow. She had listened while the judges read, without a tear or sigh, at the ringing of the curfew, Basil Underwood must die. And her breath came fast and faster, and her eyes grew large and bright. One low murmur scarcely uttered, curfew must not ring tonight. She with light step bounded forward, sprang within the old church door, left the old man coming slowly, paths he trod so oft before. Not one moment paused the maiden, but with cheek and brow aglow, staggered up the tower so gloomy, where the bell swung to and fro. Then she climbed the slimy ladder, dark without a ray of light, upward still her pale lips saying, curfew shall not ring tonight. She has reached the topmost ladder, o'er her hands the great dark bell. Awful seems the gloom beneath her, like the pathway down to hell. See the ponderous tongue is swinging, tis the hour of curfew now. And the sight has chilled her bosom, stopped her breath, and paled her brow. Shall she let it ring? No, never. Flash her eyes with sudden light. As she springs and grasps it firmly, curfew shall not ring tonight. Out she swung, far out. The city seemed a tiny speck below. There, twixt heaven and earth suspended, as the bell swung to and fro. And the half-deaf sexton ringing, never now he heard the bell. Sadly thought the twilight curfew rang young Basil's funeral knell. Still the maiden, clinging firmly, cheek and brow so pale and white, stilled her frightened heart's wild beating. Curfew shall not ring tonight. It was o'er the bell ceased swing, and the maiden stepped once more, firmly on the damp old ladder, where, for hundred years before, human foot had not been planted, dreamt not that the brave deed done should be told long ages after, yet while rays of setting sun light the sky with mellow beauty, aged sires with heads of white, tell the children why the curfew did not ring that one sad night. O'er the distant hills came Cromwell, Bessie saw him and her brow, lately white with care and anguish, glows with sudden beauty now. At his feet she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, and her sweet young face still wearing tracks of the anguish born. 
touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew shall not ring tonight. End quote. That was very good. It was. Fun fact, Rose's poem would go on to become one of Queen Victoria's favorites. Nice. Ye old list of Queen Victoria's favorite things. Yeah, right? Oh my god. This is what uh, inspired Oprah's list of favorite yep. things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, can you imagine what would be on that list? Now I kind of want to know. So many drugs. like So many morning clothes, veils, lots of veils. Makeup products to hide, mm-hmm. you know. The sadness. The facial features just like falling off because of syphilis. Mm-hmm. Arsenic powder. Fake noses. Mm-hmm. Powdered wigs. Mm-hmm. Talc. So much talc. <laughs> All the talc. Another poem about the incident was written by a man named Boyd Montgomery Ranking, and I couldn't find much about him other than that his work was published in the later part of the 19th century, and it was entitled The Chertsey Curfew. Mm. I will read that one as well. Quote, it is the autumn of the year. The woods are turning brown. The llamas rains have swelled the wear. The sun is sinking down. All things seem calm and quiet here in pleasant Chertsey town. All nature seems serene and fair as sunset gleams are shed in gold across the churchyard where there sleep the quiet dead. But a woman is climbing the belfry stair with a swift and silent tread. Up and up the winding stair and now at last she stands, a set look on her face so fair with tight clenched writhing hands. Within the belfry dim and bare and eyes the tightrope strands. It seems the goal she sought is found, her bosom gins to swell. Then as she stands and looks around to the great curfew bell, she mutters, thou shall never sound to toll my Martin's knell. For the bitter Puritans have sworn at curfew chime that day, young Martin's life thread shall be shorn because he dared to pray, as his fathers prayed ere he was born in the old accustomed way. So it's not Neville this time, it's someone named Martin. Yeah, which is totally different, and I don't like it. And it's all about prayer, too. And they're Puritans, I don't know why. Religious propaganda. And Blanche has prayed with sobs and tears, the sexton deaf and old, that now first in so many years that bell may not be told. But he only answers, as half he hears, my hand I shall not hold. Through all my life, in peace or strife, I've set that bell a-swing. The neighbors round expect its sound, relief from toil to bring. Have done, I say, no use to pray. The curfew bell must ring. Then with a set and steadfast face, she got her up the tower. And now within that dismal place, she waits the fated hour, a-gazing on the hollow base that hath such deadly power. The rope grows tight through all its strands, and with a sudden bound, she has leapt aloft, and the small white hands, the cruel tongue around, are clasped. The sextoned tolling stands. Now to and fro the clapper swings, her hands are bruised and bleeding, but still with closed shut eyes she clings, her agony unheeding. Never a note of curfew rings, and the minutes fast are speeding. The deed is done, her end is won, the bell stays in midair. With a strange smile she stands a while, as past were all her care, nor pain she heeds, anon she speeds adown the belfry stair. A stern, grim man with a piercing eye, with his troop rides past amain, and Cromwell, Cromwell, is the cry, then up she springs so fain, to stay his course as he passes by, and grips at his bridle rein. The steed is stayed, her tale is told, soft grows that rugged face, 
and something clouds the eye so cold as he speaks the word of grace. And Martin, loosed from bonds and hold, stoops to his lover's embrace. And still as the evening hour, with slow and solemn knell, the curfew tolls from Chertsey Tower, its ringing seems to tell of brave Blanche Harriet and the power of love that naught can quell, end quote. Yeah, love not religion. Don't, don't you put that Puritan shit in here. What the fuck? I liked it without <laughs> all the... So a little bit about curfew bells. The practice of curfew bells was instituted by King Alfred the Great. The mm. word itself, curfew, comes from the old French curfew, which transitioned to couvre-fou before it eventually turned into curfew. It originally meant to cover fire, and a utensil known as a couvre-fou, which I just said that in a weird accent, whatever. Like a weird Swedish accent. This is a Swedish accent. It's fine. Everyone knows I suck at French. It's fine. It's all good. Which was a metal covering resembling a bell-shaped shield. It was like three quarters of a bell. Okay. You would put it into the fire upon the ringing of the curfew bell to snuff out the flames. And this institution... So the institution of this 8 p.m. curfew was to get the people to rest, but also to prevent the spread of unwatched fires. Nice. Yeah, at first I was like, so is it a bell that you ring when, like, there's a fire? Because there's a fire all the time because everything's made of wood and it's dry. And <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's, it's the opposite. It's to prevent the fires. Yeah. So. Got it. It's believed that the custom started in Chertsey in 1235 after a serious fire damaged the abbey. Fool me once, devil. (laughs) (laughs) Not again. Now we've got this curfew bell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And fun fact, according to an article by Philip Wheeler in the February 13th, 1992 edition of the Surrey Herald, quote, Chertsey is one of the few towns in England still to ring the curfew every day from Michaelmas to Lady Day at 8 p.m. And that's September 29th to March 25th followed by a special chime denoting the day of the month, end quote. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And today, a statue of a young woman grabbing the clapper of a church bell can be found at 124 Bridge Road in Chertsey, sculpted by Sheila Mitchell of Puttenham. An inscription on the base of the statue reads as follows, quote, In the 15th century, during the War of the Roses, Neville Audley, a Lancastrian, was captured and held prisoner at Chertsey Abbey. He sent for a pardon from King Edward IV, but he was to be executed at sunset when the curfew bell rang. Blanche Harriet saved her lover's life by clasping the bell clapper until a messenger brought the pardon. And there's a little postscript that says the original bell now hangs in St. Peter's Church, end quote. Nice. And that is the story of Blanche Harriet in the curfew bell. Nice, nice. So what do you think? Do you think it's possible that it could be real? Or do you think it's just a nice fairy tale? I think it all depends on the timing, like how off, how long she was hanging there. Do I think someone is capable of hanging from a rope for an extended period of time while kind of running into things? Yes. But do I think she was doing it for like a half hour? No. <laughs> no, I do yeah. not. I thought it was just interesting that so much, there was so much truth in there Mm -hmm. as far as real people and actual events. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. And then it was also interesting that the retelling of it, 
the in the 1800s telephone. was like about Oliver Cromwell. Like it still mm-hmm. kept her, but then it was Oliver Cromwell instead of King Edward IV. And I don't know if that was a weird non-political take or a weird political take, especially considering the, the stories, the later stories were written in America. Yeah. I think it's just Victorians being Victorian. Yeah. Victorians were ye old hipsters, honestly. Mm-hmm. Gothic hipsters, really. They were gothic hipsters. They really loved their 14th, 13th century tragedy, trinket. like romantic tragedies and Yeah. That's what that that was their Roman Empire. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is true. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that like some girl in Michigan would be like, oh, it's so romantic. And it's like, actually, everything there was horrible then. Please don't stay. Mm-hmm. Stay in your lane, Rose. Stay in your lane. Just just hang out there. You're going to be fine. I promise. Just write about the Flint, Michigan water crisis. It's fine. Do you, do you need a hug? <laughs> do you need a hug? Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. Are you drawn to the dark? Do you find yourself enticed in the forbidden and ominous? Join me, Steph, as I explore all things menacing and malevolent. In my podcast, Sinister Story Hour, I discuss true stories of cults and crimes with the occasional urban legend. I also dedicate episodes to missing persons in the United States. And you could be the missing link to provide information and clues that will help to bring them home. Join me every week for a new story. Come on in, sit down, and get ready, because it's story time. Anyway, this week's podcast plug is the Sinister Story Hour podcast. These are the stories your mother never told you. Join staff for the spookiest story time as she tells short tales of true crime, cults, or missing persons. They are part of the Darkcast Network, and we'll have a link to their show in the show notes. Nice. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Emily from Drink Drunk Dead and Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Hi, Emily. And she would like to know, what is a food combination that you enjoy that makes everybody else go, what? I feel like I have a lot. Probably. (laughs) I mean, I like soy sauce on vanilla-based ice creams. What? Yeah. (laughs) It's delicious. I am am one of the, the mystical fuckers that loves cheese and apple pie, um, as long as it's cheddar. Or like some sort of like not American cheese. Cheddar derivative? Yeah. What other food crimes have I committed? I really like sweet and savory stuff a lot. So I I really like like jalapeno wontons with like a raspberry sauce. That's not super out of pocket. Oh, yeah. But. I like that. I also like making weird pickle combinations, like adding pickles or like vinegary based things to stuff a lot. So if you're like anti-pickle. Yeah, I make a lot of stuff just for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. With the with just knowing that like it's it's gonna only be eaten by me and that's okay. I'll make everybody else something else. Yeah, I also like pickle dishes. Mm-hmm. So I like adding 
bread and butter pickles to grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's really good. And when I say grilled cheese, I mean like a Colby Jack or a cheddar, like mm. a yellow cheese, if that makes sense. Not like a soft cheese. When do you add the pickles? Do you add them so they still are crunchy or do you add them so that they're like warm and soft? I add them right before I flip it onto the other side. So I wait until like the cheese is like kind of mostly melty and then I add the pickles. So I do like basically an open face grilled cheese. Okay. And then I put the pickles on last. So they're warm, but they're not super wet, if that makes sense. So they don't make the sandwich soggy. Okay. They're kind of one of the last things that I add. Yeah. It works really well with tortillas. If you were to make a grilled cheese with a tortilla, because right. then the bread's not super thick and it doesn't mm-hmm. get too crispy on the outside. Mm-hmm. I also like putting pickles on Ritz crackers with cream cheese. Mm-hmm. I like cottage cheese and mashed potatoes. That's weird. But people like, are into cottage cheese right now, which is a little upsetting to me because more often than not now, my favorite cottage cheese is never available. <laughs> I'm like, stop making your keto dips, you monsters. <laughs> nobody wants cottage cheese ice cream just have ice cream please yeah those are the only ones that i can think of where it's like people have been like ew that's gross (laughs) i'm like no it's not it's delicious like i really like those like pinwheel sandwiches you can get where it's like the ham and the cream cheese and the pickles i love those i could eat those all day the like a minnesota thing minnesota sushi that's what they call them. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that. Oh, I like the I like those weird ambrosia salads too. What's an ambrosia salad? The kind of stuff that mom makes where it's like the marshmallow and pudding and like oh, fresh fruit. Depending like on what it is. Like a Snickers salad type of thing? Kind of. Like I'm actually less inclined to do a Snickers salad because it's so much stuff in it. It's too much. We made one at camp that was really good. It was... Milky Ways, because okay. peanut allergy. So it was Milky Ways, and it was green apples and whipped cream. And I think that was it. Like, it was just three ingredients oh, yeah. because, I mean, it's camp. But it was, like, it was really good. Yeah. I I usually, like, I really like that one mom made the other day where she had, she had like, this crunchy toffee-like pretzel mix that she crumbles up. Mm-hmm. And then she adds crushed pineapple the different flavored mini marshmallows and the pistachio pudding with a little bit of whipped cream because mm-hmm. the crunch of the the pretzels and the saltiness of them combined with like the super sweet stuff. Oh my God. It's so good. What was the cherry? It, was it cherry flavored jello in the center with like actual cherries in it? Mm-hmm. The one that she made this time. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's something good you'd like to share? Something good I'd like to share this week. Oh, it was nice to get a break. I have some like actual days off that I was able to get off for both jobs, which was really great. And one small victory for me, I guess, is so I am really horrible about buying clothes. Mm-hmm. I usually like buy clothes every five years, three to five years, depending. Like mm-hmm. I will wear something to death. And I can't really do that with one of my jobs at Starbucks because. I need to have clothes that like warm my body when I'm at the drive-thru because <laughs> it's so cold now mm-hmm. and like will protect me from burns. And so I am slowly accumulating that and I was able to get jeans for the first time in forever. 
And so it was really nice, nice to have clothes that like fit my body and aren't the leggings I've been just <laughs> existing in since COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm cosplaying on how to be a real person again, which is kind of fun. Like, I'm a real person. <laughs> like, that's just how I kind of feel when I get dressed to work at my in-person job. It's like, this is how humans wear clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's kind of my fun thing. It was nice to get something new. Nice. What about you? So I am currently reading a book that I really enjoy. It's called The Impossible Girl by Lydia Kang. Okay. And... It's set in like the 1850s in Manhattan. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but I like was looking it up on my Goodreads. And I guess I didn't really realize that I've already read one of her other stories. And I have really? two more like on my to be read list. She writes a lot of period type pieces and a lot of it is like adult fiction. So nice adult fiction that centers around historical mysteries in New York City. Okay. Yeah, that's right. New York yeah, right? So her first book that I read was called A Beautiful Poison, and that Ooh. takes place in 1918 at the height of the influenza epidemic. Oh. And the book I'm reading, The Impossible Girl, centers around the illegal grave robbing world. Nice. And another one that I have on my list to read is called Opium and Absinthe that has to do with opium and absinthe right. and possibly vampires. So okay, fun twist. Yeah, so I really like her as an author, and it's a really good book. I'm having a hard time putting it down. Like when we came back from siblings giving at my sister in law's, mm -hmm. I started reading this book when I was in Canada. Put it down for a while, and then when I got back home by myself, I was like reading it for a while, and then I looked up and was like, "Oh shit, it's two thirty in the morning. I should probably go to bed." I've done that before. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard when you find something that you're really interested in. It's one of those books where you nice. start reading it and then you realize, oh my God, so much time has passed. You're like, wait, I have obligations. Yeah, I should probably go to bed because I have to get up tomorrow. I have to do. So yeah, I'll include a link to it in the show notes if people are interested in checking it out. I'm sure they are. It'd be really cool. Shall we? A great way to support the show if you want to help us out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, Podcast Addict, and Audible. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. Again, our store will be having a huge sale the whole month of November, so you can enjoy 40% off November 20th through the 28th and 35% off November 29th through the 30th. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly... If you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. And on that note, 
As always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale of Zelda's Crime.